the Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Good morning, and thanks for tuning in to Leaders Playbook, where you'll discover what emotional intelligence is all about and how to raise yours to be a top performer in business. Now, here's your host, Dr. Rell. Welcome to Leaders Playbook, Tools for Top Performance. In this show, we give you the hands-on tools to help raise the emotional intelligence for you and for your direct reports. Today, we're going to talk about one of the competencies of communication. And George Bernard Shaw has said, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that has taken place. So we're going to get into some more of the nuts and bolts about communication, answering some of the questions are, what are some of the best ways to engage your audience? How can leaders communicate in a way that's inspiring to their followers? How do leaders fine-tune their delivery? What's the best way for a leader to persuade others? And what are the pitfalls of poor communication? So the answers to these questions in communication, and we're also going to look at influence and influence strategies, are the focus of this session. Hi, I'm Dr. Rowley Nadler, a psychologist and executive coach uh, and your host for this show. And later in the segment today, we're going to... Uh, interview for the Star Secret segment, John Davies, who's the founder of Davies Public Relations, and it's one of the most successful strategic communication firms in California. The company has won over 250 awards for excellence in advertising, design, and communications, and is the third largest uh, public relations firm in the state. For over 20 years, Davies ran numerous political campaigns and had an 85% win ratio. His focus has always been on studying human behavior and effective strategies to influence decision-making, no matter what the venue. John is also a top speaker and a communications strategist, and we'll bring him on this show uh, shortly and kind of pick his brain on what does he do with some of his clients in regards to communication and influence. But first, I want to look at some of the key emotional intelligence concepts that we've been talking about on this show. And one of the things is the key to being a star performer today is ideally somebody who's working in the, the top 10%. And what we've known is to be in that top 10%, these emotional intelligence competencies are the critical factor to be in the top 10%. What's emotional intelligence is defined as understanding and managing yourself and understanding and managing others. Emotions are contagious. We know that from the research. And leaders are the emotional thermostat for their team. If they're irritated and upset, their team's going to be irritated and upset. If they're calm, cool, collected, most likely their team will be calm, cool, and collected. Leaders in the top 10% produce twice as much revenue as managers in the organization in the 11th through the 89th percentile. So that's the reason, one of the reasons we want to help you get your people in the top 10%. How do you do it? We've been talking about micro-initiatives. What are the small things that can create a macro-impact? From some of the brain research, we know about the amygdala hijack, how someone's uh, primitive part of the brain can take over and you lose executive functioning, you lose IQ points. And then these mirror neurons that were all wired to connect. Every leader I've worked with has underestimated their influence over, over their others. And as a consequence, they've underperformed, their team's underperformed. Some of the things that John Davies will help us with is some of the communication aspects that many times leaders um, either don't get a chance to focus on or they ignore. At the leadersplaybook.com site, there's free tools that go along with 
each and every one of these um, sessions today. There will be a, a tool called um, Filling in White Space, and um, you can download that for free from Leaders Playbook. So let's look at communication. What is communication and why is it important? We'll give a little bit of the research, and then we'll shortly bring on John Davies. Communication includes listening with an open mind, sending uh, convincing and clear messages, and cultivating an empathic give and take. The speaker reads emotional cues expressed by the listener and then can meet the listener by fine-tuning the message. For communication to be effective, the message has to be received with the intent intact just as the sender has planned. I think often there's a gap between the intention and the interpretation. So difficult situations of delivering bad news are not easy, but star performers seem to have a, a way to deal with that in a direct and uh, significant way. Some of the research that we know is in one of the biggest complaints from Americans in the job force is poor communication with managers. Over two-thirds of those interviewed believe the problem actually prevents them from doing their work. In another study of 130 executives and managers shows that people prefer working to and relating with others who know how to successfully handle communication and communicate their emotions and their requests. So what makes a good communicator? This is from some of Daniel Goldman's work. There are five basic skills uh, <clears throat> that determine if a person is an effective communicator. Listening skills, such as asking good questions, being open-minded, understanding the other, not interrupting, and asking for suggestions. So we're going to look uh, at a moment... And uh, where are you? Are you average or are you star? So from some of the database, this is from the Hay Group, uh, over a 30-year database of what makes a star performer. <clears throat> the average performer in regards to communication engages the audience, and they clarify the message. But the star, in addition to that, has an effective give and take, and then they fine-tune delivery. And one of the uh, sisters of Communication is influence. We'll get John to get some of his take on communicating with influence. And if you look at what's the average performer in influence, they're concerned with the image of their report or how they're presenting, and they use facts and reason to persuade. But the star does each of those, and what they do is they anticipate the impact and actions of their words. What's the obstacles I'm going to deal with? How do I need, am I going to deal with that? And then they use something that's called indirect influence. Some of the lobbying aspects are indirect influence. The individual leader uses direct influence, but anybody else that they use, other people, other sources, white papers, research, best practices of other companies, are indirect influence. And then the star uses a complex influence strategy where they try to pull that all together. So if you think about communication and also uh, influence, it's important to all of us, but it's challenging. So here's a couple of the key things to think about. You're always communicating, even if you're not, not saying anything. Everything you say counts. There are no second attempts, editing, or deleting. When the words leave your mouth, you have no control how they're going to be interpreted. Listeners are constantly constructing or story-making, and that means they're always interpreting what you're saying. And you're... Words are transformed or reorganized to fit into the listener's personal story. 
or preconceived idea of what you and or their similar situations. <clears throat> there will be more than one story, and everybody that you speak to will create their own story. And then it's the story that's created from your communication and that determines the meaning, not what you say. And in the end, it's the story, not what you say, which will be remembered, passed on, and communicated to others. And so if you take all these into consideration, and I like to say this to executives or organizations that I deal with, what's the most likely outcome of your communication? Well, you are going to be misunderstood or misinterpreted. If you think of the bottom line, what's the most likely outcome? You'll be misunderstood, misinterpreted. If you had that as your intention, therefore you would probably be more clear, deliberate, and focused on communication. So with that as a as an overview, let me do an introduction again of, of John Davies, and we'll bring him in for the first segment of the show. Um, <clears throat> John has worked in strategic communications um, for you know probably 30 years. His company has won 250 awards for excellence in advertising design and communication. And for 20 years, John ha- has run numerous campaigns and had an 85% win ratio. His focus has always been on studying human behavior, effective communication strategies to influence decision-making. John Davies is one of the best at this, and his seminars and coaching have consistently received high ratings from audiences all over the world. John, welcome to the show. Hi, Raleigh. Great to be on with you. Good. Glad to have you here, and you could make some time for us. So I gave you... um, the introduction, but give us a little bit of your background and just kind of how you got into the communications field and maybe some of the work you do with uh, Davies. Well, I think how I got started in the communications field is sort of related to your uh, your beginning, and uh, you probably understand it better than most. I I, uh, I was born into a family where both of my parents had uh, been married previously and brought in two kids from each of their previous marriages, hmm. and uh, unusual in the 1950s. Right. And uh, so you learn how to communicate really well with different groups of people when you have to live in that type of environment just to get the uh, mm-hmm. the meal passed around the table with six kids at the table and from two different groups. Sure. So you know, a whole bunch of times I think about, you know, how uh, how I had to influence my brothers and sisters that were older and also the one that was younger. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're just having that many. It's, it's kind of the, the group dynamics every single day you had to deal with. Yeah, totally. And and the other thing that was uh, interesting that really I think really helped me is I had a horrible speech impediment as a, as a child. In about fourth grade, uh, they figured out that I needed to go to a, a speech therapist. And the uh, you know I, I think the grocery clerks and people around town could have told them earlier that I had an issue because <laughs> I couldn't pronounce anything when I went in there. But I think when you when you don't speak and you can't speak well. You uh, you have to listen and you have to watch how people behave and you you see things in a different way than the person that's talking a lot. So so just from that experience, so you had a whole different awareness of of taking in uh, what was going on around your world and what like what so what were some of the learnings that you got from that from that that early experience because that isn't unusual. We just you know from a classroom, you know watching watching the kids that were really good at you know getting the teacher's attention, watching the popular kids. Watching what was going on, watching the unpopular kid that tried so hard that you know bumped up against everything and it was really rough, and you know having the absolute panic that I, when I was going to be called on, not because I may not know the answer, but because I knew I couldn't communicate it. 
Mm. You know, so the the deal was it wasn't what was in my brain. Right. It was my ability to get it out. And you know, so it's like as you grow and you have that problem, you never want to have that problem again. Right. Right. It's a bad dream. <laughs> yeah, kind of being frozen there. So how did you, how did you get over it? Well, you know, luckily a good uh, a good counselor at school at, at uh, fourth grade ensured my parents got me off to a speech therapist that I went to a couple days a week for um, probably two or three years, and I was able to get over that. And according to uh, my parents and brothers and sisters, I never stopped talking since <laughs> I was able to. So <laughs> I I love that line because I I, I know you I, I can uh, uh, testify to that. So that's great. So we're going to take our, our uh, first break, and then we'll come back and get into a lot more detail uh, with John and some of his, his uh, specialties and strategies regarding communication and influence. We'll be right back. Line in business. Voice America business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic plays to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Once upon a time, there lived three energy hogs. Now, an energy hog is what you have when humans waste energy. One day, the three energy hogs set out to find themselves a cottage. Let's look for leaky windows, said the first energy hog, for he knew that would waste energy. Let's look for leaky doors, said the second. Let's look for a twig bed, said the third, for he had more blubber than brains. So they set off down the road. Presently, they came upon a tiny cottage where dwelt a clever girl named Dreadilocks. I open as leaky windows, cried the first energy hog. I open as leaky doors, cried the second. I open as the bathroom, cried the third, for only his brains were smaller than his bladder. But Dreadilocks liked playing cool games at energyhog.org. And from energyhog.org, she learned how to use energy wisely. So the three energy hogs were forced to look elsewhere to waste energy and had to use the disgusting restroom at the gas station down the road. And the moral of the story is, to use energy wisely, log on to energyhog.org or waste not, hog not. This public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Homeowners, real estate investors, bankers, listen up and tune in to Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight, the show that breaks it all down and gives it to you straight. Are you at risk of foreclosure? Interested in buying a foreclosed property? Mark Bull has the answers to the questions you might forget to ask. Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight broadcasts live on the Voice America Business Channel, Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific. You can't afford not to tune in. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business.
You're listening to Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. If you have a question for Dr. Nadler, feel free to email him at rnadler at truenorthleadership.com. Now, back to Dr. Rell. Hi, this is Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. Today we're looking at communication and influence, and we're uh, interviewing John Davies from Davies Public Relations. And, John, you've coined this term um, perceptioneering. I knew you, you had that as, as one of the markers for your company. I don't know if you still do. But what is perceptioneering, and how does that relate to your work? Well, it, it was it was a moniker just before try to sort of say what we did. But in a lot of ways, it, 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 the perception is, so many times is more important than the reality in, in quick impressions. And so much of our life today with uh, – with the pace we live, that attention, getting someone's attention quickly is one of, one of the key goals. So, you know, what's the perception people have is sometimes more important what the reality is. Mm-hmm. Now, what I'd like to continue on that as you get down the yeah. spectrum a little bit, you want to make sure that there's something behind that perception. And that's in the, in the science of message engineering that we are really mess- creating a message that people will remember. You want to make sure that the facts are there. But, the first deal is what is it that you're you're creating as a perception out there immediately in the marketplace, one on one, in a job interview. What is it? So, what is the engineered perception that you need to make sure you have? Mm-hmm. And maybe say a little bit about kind of you know how do you go about that? And maybe this is a good place to kind of hear about you know you, what kind of clients you have and and you know if you can say names if not industry's fine. But you know kind of how do you go about this? I like that message engineering. And so what would you do typically with a client in front of you to kind of tease that out? Well, and, and it is a tease out, I mean, because people have so much in their head when they're trying to do something and that they don't – it takes a while to get it out. So a couple things. Number one is, you know, I, I, I start with a lot of folks that uh, I lay down a uh, – in seminars, I lay down a, a dollar bill and a $100 bill. Uh-huh. And you know, they're exactly the same size. They're exactly the same piece of paper. And one of them's worth a hundred times more. Huh. And you know why? What's the difference? Right, right. It's what's written on it. Yeah. And and so the message on that bill, the hundred dollar bill is a hundred times better. So how can we create a hundred time better message by what we write or what we say? Hmm. And so that it's gotta begin with a fact. Number one it's gotta be begin with a fact. So our message engineering process is number one facts. What are the total facts about what you're trying to do? What are the facts about the environment that you're going into? And then you've got to align those. You've got to line those together. Make sure you understand how they play off one another. Mm-hmm. That that gives you some good information. And then we use different research tools. And we only have one goal when we got to research. Say it's a public opinion poll. Say it's an informal interview process that we have called focused interviews, where we may interview five, ten, twenty, fifty people with an open-ended type questions, and we get them on the phone sometimes for an hour and a half. And you know, very high-end customers or people that need to be influenced, and we find out how they look at something. Mm. And what we create from that is a, a process rather than a strength-weakness analysis, something that a gentleman named Dan Sullivan promotes as a, at the Strategic Coach, which is a dangerous opportunity and strength, a DOS. So what are the dangers? So what are the things that we're about to do that provide the greatest fears for us what are the things that we can take advantage of what are the opportunities that we have that we haven't we haven't dealt with and what are our strengths what do we come in with not just in our mind in the facts but also in the public so we have the facts we have the facts about the environment and then we have our dangers opportunities strengths then we create a message 
think the problem with most people, they start creating a message on a blank piece of paper before right. they really take in to what they need. So the hard work is done before. And so, uh, just to clarify this, so, so you get a lot of the data from the audience who's going to interpret the message. You get a lot of, a lot of first data from them before yeah. you craft the message. So you, you work with the receivers. Right, exactly. And, and you know, let's say just in-house, uh, you know, at our company, we have about 50 employees and we're about to do something. You know, with the management team, the four or five of us that really look at what's going on, is we'll go out and talk to people a little bit. We'll do a little informal uh, announcement of it one on one. What do, what would you think if we did this? What do you think right. if we did that? And what happens? It's sort of our own interview, even in house, that we do it. Mm-hmm. And when people say, "Well, gosh, that sounds like a really bad idea," I know someone so will be upset about that. Why? Oh, and it's not sometimes what we're doing; it's a perception of how we present it mm-hmm. and a perception of what they would think. Right, right. So you know, even even in our own practice, we try to do it. We don't do it perfect all the time. That's why I have to bring you in to help us coach a little bit. Right. But uh, but that that work for your products, for your services, if you're trying to sell uh, opinion leaders, you got to know what works with them before you go out there and try to do it. See, that's great, and especially and I think you know, on my side, working with leaders and executives. So what you're saying is they really need to know their know their audience and to know what they want. And I think many times they're they're crafting messages on. What do I want to tell them, right. which is only part of the equation? Right. So can you uh, just briefly say what are, what are some of the industries, you know, that you're working in now, maybe just the scope of the work, sure. and then we'll get back into some of the kind of the crafting of the message. Well, we have we have two companies. One one company is a public affairs company, and, and that company deals with real defining issues. So issues that if you win or lose it, it will define the future of your company. Mm. And many times these issues have a touch of controversy to them. So we work in the healthcare field, uh, a great amount of work in the managed care where hospitals and uh, physician groups have to negotiate with insurance companies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's a pretty tough deal now because the insurance companies have, they keep buying one another up and they're shrinking in numbers and they have more power. Right, right. And so they're demanding the power and the dollars, the dollars are going more to the insurance company rather than the provider. So mm-hmm. a lot of work there, a lot of work in their crisis when, you know, that's a field with a great number of crises because of, uh, obviously, what they deal with. We also work in the energy field, siting of energy plants, resiting of energy plants. You know, we're, we're in a funny environment now. We're, we're demanding more domestic energy, but at the same time, the, the environmental consciousness says we don't want to. Mm. So, you know, it's a tough place to be. Right, right, right. So we work in that field a great deal, you know, for anything from wind power, solar power, uh, to uh, LNG, you know, which is liquefied gas, which is a very clean natural gas, a very clean gas, but the LNG has a bad perception, uh-huh. uh, and you know, trying to convert oil or coal plants. So that that's a, those those yeah. touch the very nerves of the of the American public now. Right. We also work a great deal in real estate okay. in the public affairs company, the public relations company. We deal with uh, higher end consumer products from uh, from real estate to hospitality. To uh, any type of health products, okay, and that is mostly media relations, selling people the the, the goods of what it is through the media rather than just through advertising, through uh, through public relations, okay. media stories, and kind of and kind of the the crafting of the story. So you, I know you are a yes, a great uh, storyteller and and helping other people kind of craft a story. And and in my the introduction, we talked about how the the story is just so important, and that's really what. What people uh, remember the most, um, you know, on on that, you know, for for years, and and you know this, you know this better than I do, but you know, we have two sides of our brain, 
right. and and you know some of us uh, only only want to be engaged on the creative side of a brain, mm-hmm. and you know so others were totally open on the more technical, the scientific, the numbers side, and so you know when you when you're talking to someone and you're giving the statistics and you're laying out all the numbers and all the things, you know you're not getting to the creative person. The creative person has shut you down. Right. And so when you tell a story and you have an analogy, you just open the other person up a little bit. Okay. And, you know, I think that that means you're talking to everyone. We can't go in a room and go profile everyone's uh, or the way they think and the way they go and look that's floating above their head with little uh, little soft numbers, and we can say, okay, I need to talk to that person to the right side and that one to the left side. That one's a thinker. That one's a feeler. You know, we can't do that. So we have to appeal to people mm-hmm. in a broader sense by doing that. So when you're, and I know a lot of you're working with leaders sometimes individually, you know, about um, – Presentation, but then working with the leaders in regards to the message for their company or crafting a product. What do you see? Why do you think so many leaders are, are challenged by communication? With vul- you're vulnerable. I mean, you stand up in front of a group, you're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And you know, they, well, number one, most people procrastinate on preparing a presentation and you know what they're going to say, writing it out, preparing it. They procrastinate because they're afraid. And I get it. I'm I'm not that I'm not that far away from. You know, I just have to follow my own my own techniques to make sure I don't screw it up. Uh-huh. But you know, people are vulnerable when they stand in front of a group. They're afraid to say too much, and so that's you know that's a challenge with uh, with any type of leader. You know, political candidates, if you watch them, right. you know they 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 get up there and they try to they try to be everything to everyone. Right. And you know that causes them problems. So the regular CEO says, "I don't want to have to be like that." Yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be vulnerable because then, you know, an hour later on the news, the politicians being ripped to shreds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay, so they they may see what what the politicians are doing and trying to please everybody, and especially they have other constituents who may not like what's going on, or whether people in, yeah. inside and outside. Um, so preparation would be one of the things that they don't do. The kind of the fear of saying the wrong thing, and I think one of the one of the metaphors that I like to use is with leaders that every leader is under the spotlight. 24-7, and, and most leaders, that's why they don't, why I said earlier, they underestimate their influence. They don't realize that everything they say is under the spotlight and is getting yep. um, digested in different ways. Oh, to- uh, Leaders, consultants, I mean, when we walk into an, uh, a company, we have to be very careful what we say because, you know, the may, we may be being uh, brought in by the CEO or president of a company, but, you know, their marketing folks may feel uh, threatened by us. And so they're looking for something that we're going to say wrong or trying to say we're doing the wrong thing. So you've got, to be, you've got to be aware of all the people in the room, what they're saying. And part of that is I believe that getting ready to be a great speaker is, number one, you've got to be prepared and practiced. You've got to rehearse. You know, Cal Ripken, a great baseball player, you know, as great as he was before every game, he had 200 balls. I mean, he he's playing how many days a week, but he's still hitting 200 balls before every game. Right, right. Michael Jordan finished games, and he went and lifted weights. Uh-huh. After the game, while everyone else was drinking beer in the locker room, a, you know, a lot of the games, afterwards, he'd go someplace and lift weights. Uh-huh. I mean, uh-huh. great great people are <clears throat> practiced, and they rehearse, and they're ready, and they're really ready. And, the, and then the other part is being very aware of nonverbals, both yours and others. And you know, we can talk about that more, because I think, you know, I think that's the most important thing, and it's a thing that none of us think about. It's, you know, it's a flash of the obvious. Does it really matter what I say? Right, right. Okay, well, I think that is a, a part we'll follow up on is, is the nonverbals, and especially if people are under the spotlight, what is it that people are seeing that they may not realize that they're expressing? 
So we're talking with John Davies here around communication and influence, and we'll be right back. Line in business. Voice America business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066 Before every word there is a thought. Before every action, there is a thought. If everything starts with a leader, what happens when leaders around the world start to think and do things differently? I'm thinking the world will change. Evolve the leader. Evolve the company. Change the world. Join Susan Kavanaugh for Summit Speed. All Leaders Rise. Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Adding fractions is nothing. For real? Look, these are denominators. You multiply this one so that it's the same as that, then you add them up. Man, that's easy. Charles Bennett dreamed of returning to the old neighborhood as a teacher. But without money for college, only half of his dream came true. He's back in the old neighborhood. Well, enough math. I gotta deliver these sandwiches. Please support the United Negro College Fund. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. A message from the UNCF and the Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. If you have a question for Dr. Nadler, feel free to email him at rnadler at truenorthleadership.com. Now, back to Dr. Rell. This is Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. We're talking with uh, John Davies talking about communication and influence, and we're talking about, we just left off before the break around nonverbals. And maybe, John, you could explain what some of the nonverbals are and maybe some some examples and why they're so important. Can, can I jump back to the, yeah. what, one other thing is I was giving you sort of our formula, the idea is for a good presenter, you know, first off, you got to be practice and rehearse, and we talk about that. Right. And no one wants to do that because that means you're really starting to think about that horrible day that you have to speak. Uh-huh. But you got to do it. Number two is is being aware of nonverbals, and I do want to talk about that more because that's the biggest the biggest uh, challenge that we have. And and third is is uh, having a really persuasive, really strong message. And if you look at the 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 brothers, the Heath brothers that wrote the book Made to Stick, it's the, the book that I should have written. Uh-huh. Um, is is that you know you got to have a sticky message. Uh-huh. and something that sticks. But, you know, you have all that, and you've, we've all seen people that have practiced a lot that are aware of nonverbals and have a good message, and then when they present, they go flat, right. and you go, well, what happened? Yeah. We did everything. Well, what happened is they don't have passion. Yeah. 
and you know I, I like to show people a speech from Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. And when he did the March on Washington, his first half of the speech was written by someone, and at the second half, when when uh, when he talked about "I have a dream," right. he he walked away from the speech basically and went back to what he liked to say, and that's when he turned down the audience because uh-huh. he had passion, uh-huh. and you know that's that makes people follow you, and so you can have all the techniques, right. but without passion, it doesn't work, and sometimes passion can overcome technical problems. Mm, okay. Well, so where do you want, you want us to kind of go back? Do you want us to start about nonverbals and we'll end up yeah, kind of looking at uh, how sure. someone, if they don't have passion, listeners or leaders here might not have passion, we'll kind of end with how you kind of yes. get hold of that. Well, I mean, the nonverbal, if you, if you look at all the studies, you know, it's anywhere from 85 to 90, 95% of meaning of first impressions with people comes from nonverbals. Mm-hmm. And I believe that first impressions aren't just the first time you walk into the room. I believe it's every time you walk into the room for the first time. Hmm. I mean, think about your spouse. Right. You you come home, and you look at your spouse, or your your spouse comes home and looks at you. You immediately are reading the first impression right then of how my night's going to be. Yes, exactly. I mean, you wake up in the morning, and if someone's sick or they're a little frustrated, <laughs> or you know, we, every day you read first impression. Yeah, yeah. And that comes from nonverbals. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the things I remember about that is early on reading a, reading a book called Contact, the first four minutes. And exactly like you're saying, John, every interaction, those first four minutes, and maybe I would say it's even less than the first four minutes, set precedent for that whole interaction. I, I call it the two-minute warning now. Okay. You know, in sports, you get the two-minute warning? Yeah. It's a two-minute warning. You literally have two minutes. And so my, my program with my wife when I come home, because she, she's home with the kids. Right. And, and it's had to deal with a, a teenager and a nine-year-old and uh-huh. an 11-year-old in between and all the things that happened in that in a day. Yeah. I call her on the way home, and I talk to her, and I keep asking her questions all the way home. Uh-huh. And when I get home, she's less frustrated. Uh-huh. I don't have to solve anything, but just the idea that I allowed her to have two minutes, three minutes, that we could have a conversation. Oh, that's and crazy. she knows that I do that, and she's happy to be part of it. Yeah, but yeah. the idea is that it's about someone else. And for men, we're really that's hard for us to right. give someone else the floor for four minutes or two minutes even. Well, that's good. I'll just, I'll just share a quick example that I had. You know, I'm an avid uh, meditator, and I and I used to come home, and the first thing I would do was meditate. Kind of a good way to kind of you know get the gap from the day to the rest of it. And my wife would say, "You just come home, and you kind of go to your cave." And so now I do that before I get go home. So when I come home, just like you're saying, those first two minutes, I'm really present and I'm focused. I don't have to go do something else. Yep. I, I, you do that, and then then you can have your moment. Right. It's interesting because every part is the first impression. You know, I've had I've had so many people that we've done uh, training with, media training and speaker training yeah. with, and uh, people always say, "How do you do it? You turn that person around." And I, I always tell them, "It's not me. It's the camera." Huh. You know, you, you you put someone on camera, you have them speak. Then, you know, the the challenge is it's embarrassing sometimes. So, you know, you want to make sure you do it in, in a good setting, in a real positive setting. But you they watch themselves. They oh. go, oh, I get it. So the first half of any speaker training session that we do is without voice. So and you, so you we show the video. We're just doing, we're just looking at the nonverbals. Mm-hmm. And we'll work on that and, and until we get, until people are aware of what their issues are. Right. And then you become a little over hyper aware, but right. but that'll settle back. It's like anything, you know. It, you're looking for progress, not perfection. And it's the nonverbal that sends the message to an audience of how you're feeling. And I, you know, I think so many people from the emotional self awareness, one of the the EI competencies. I don't know that I worked with an executive that was intently listening, and I had a coaching session, but he was frowning. 
and it wasn't until a while I realized, you know, I wonder if he does this with everybody else. He ha- because he was listening, he didn't realize he had this frown on his face. Everybody else misinterpreted that. He's angry. He thinks I'm an idiot. He thinks I don't know what I'm talking about. And he was just unaware of that. Yeah. So maybe you can give us some examples, you know, of some, some kind of key nonverbals and, and things you've seen. Well, the most important nonverbal there is are your eyes. And, you know, when you're, when you're in the womb in about four or five months, the neurons from your eyes start going to reach neurons from your brain. Uh-huh. And I don't know, what is there, like 1,100 from each eye? Uh-huh. You know, and you think about, I mean, that, the only part of your body that is directly connected to your brain that I can, uh, that I can see, and yeah. we can see is your are your eyes. Right. So your eyes really are the window to your brain, the window to your heart, mm. because they tell us what's going on. And so you know you watch people as they communicate. You know that look down. You know they don't look someone in the eye, and you're also looking at their pupils. Uh-huh. You know so how people how people communicate is really comes through when we're listening through your eyes, and you know you also. You also can tell when someone's lying based on their eyes. So, I mean, you, you have a lot. And if you look at some of the, the studies from, uh, uh, neuro-linguistic programming, you know, right. they have a whole program that's where people look as whether they're having a visual memory or they're visually constructing and all those type of things. Right. I mean, the things you can see are pretty amazing if you, you look at someone's eyes. So one, look at other people. And two is think about what you're doing. You know that that you're watching. So that's you know that's an incredible nonverbal. The other nonverbal that we have an amazing control over is one you just talked about is is smiling. Uh-huh. And a smiling a smile doesn't create doesn't start on your on your lips. You know, a smile begins in your brain. Okay. And you know, I, I'm like the CEO you work with. You know, in the middle of the day, I get pretty serious, and I'm I know I'm not I'm not sitting there with a big smile when someone's talking to me. I may be thinking about the next problem I have, or that I'm like two hours late, but I really need to listen to this. Right, right. And you're, it's not related to what the person's saying, but you're sending a horrible message. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, eyes, really good smile, how you use your hands, how you use cock your head, how, how, you're, how you're behaving through the whole process is telling the other person, and they're reading it. We're all really good at reading nonverbals. Uh-huh, we just uh-huh. don't know we are. Uh-huh. You know, and I think um, just some of these things you're right impact me. I'm just thinking of people I know. I, I knew a, uh, someone actually in college, and we, we used to comment on this. He he was the best person as far as um, communicating with women, and for some reason he'd always have his head cocked to the side, mm-hmm. and he just and it just seemed to be kind of more endearing. I mean, is there anything you've seen about you know the head one yeah. side or another? Well, it's like what you're doing now. If this is you, you say uh huh, mm-hmm, and you're, you you naturally do that in a conversation. Because that's what they, when you get your PhD in psychology and, and, and do any counseling, they teach you to say, um, and, and in the middle of your night, I'm sure your wife hears you going, um, mm, mm. but, but that's a good listening technique. That makes people keep talking. Cocking your head a little bit also says, I'm listening. It's sort of like you're putting your ear up to them. Oh, okay. And, and people see that. And we, you know, we, we show people talking and you see as people do that, they listen a little more. But the main thing to get people to talk yeah. is listening so people talk. It's more important than talking so people listen. Right. So by cocking your head, nodding your head, you know, how you nod your head has a lot to do with whether you're listening and, and a lot. And people misread that. Right. There's, you know, there's two or three different types of nodding. you got to be careful not to misread it, but yeah. you got to do it, too. It's like, yeah, I'm here, you. You know? Well, it's all those social cues, and I think what happens, it goes into probably the right side of the brain that just it kind of receives it, 
and uh, is making some decisions, sometimes even without the left part of the brain that's kind of making the judgment of knowing even what that is. Right. We're just kind of, we're intuiting about that. Right. I, I sat, uh, I spoke to a, uh, a national group, the American Consulting Engineers Association. Uh-huh. So, I mean, we all know that there's not, there's not a lot of creative brains. There is, but there's mostly, they're looking at numbers and they're right. more technical. Well, there's a, a gentleman in the front row, it's about 1,500 people in the audience, gentleman in the front row, and he had his arms crossed, his legs were out a lot, he had a frown on his face. Uh-huh. And, you know, the whole program, I tried not to look at him because I thought, oh, this guy's going to come across the stage and take me down. Yeah. He's hating this. At the end of the program, he came up to me and said, that's the best program I've ever heard in my life. Huh. So you, you, you don't know why people act in a certain way, so you you got to learn not to be intimidated by someone else's nonverbals. Right. You want to read them and you want to change, you know. And I made sure I talked to this gentleman. You know, I wasn't going to spend the whole day reacting to him. But you also want to be really clear on yours because he he had the impact on my presentation that mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Well, you bring up a good point because I think we want to help the listeners know about nonverbals. But I think also we can read into what they mean. And yeah, we know about arms crossed that person's resistant. But in this case, he wasn't. He was just happened to be sitting he, that way. He might have been cold. Yeah, he may have been. Or cold. maybe he broke his arm three months ago and. It's still sore. Yeah. And, exactly. you know, and with his arms stretched, the legs stretched out, made me feel that he was relaxed. Okay. You know, and he's like your CEO. He had a frown on his face. Maybe, he, you know, he had an indigestion. Who knows? <laughs> well, and you don't know. And I think the key is then you have to ask them. So you took the initiative, John, to go and kind of check in with him because then you get the true uh, representation of what's going on, just not only what you get in the first impression. So Right. Um what about, you know, I remember watching a presentation that you did around touching your nose, and what does that mean? Well, you know, that's, uh, nothing, you know, nothing in, in nonverbals mean anything alone. Right. But okay, you got to take them all together. So, you know, one of the, one of the things that we, we all look at is, is someone telling the truth. Yeah. And, you know, in today's world, that's even harder because we don't have enough time. Right. You know, we're making instant impressions in two to three seconds. So one of, one of the, the items of not telling the truth is called the Pinocchio effect. Uh-huh. And that is that your nose itches. Uh-huh. I mean, that's the whole idea of Pinocchio. Right. You know, they, when when you're not telling the truth, your nose will itch, and it'll have an issue. And I, I've uh, I've shown a uh, a video clip of a debate from George Bush 41, where he was uh, responding to a question about the war on drugs, where he literally said that we're winning. I think we're winning a war on uh, drugs. That cocaine use is down. When he said cocaine use is down, he scratched his nose. Uh-huh. I mean, literally scratched his nostrils with two fingers. <laughs> he went up, wiped it. I mean, first off, it looks like, you know, that he was saying that he's wiping the drugs off his nose, right, which, right. you know, there's no accusation there. It's just the idea of what it was. It was a, it's a habit that you do when you're not telling the truth. Uh-huh. The other is his eyes were down, and his voice changed a little bit. So, you know, a lot of times when you're not telling your tru- the truth, your, your, uh, your eyes will go down. Your voice will go up an octave. You know, all sorts of things. Your words and your nonverbals get out of whack. Yeah. All right, this is fascinating information. We're talking with John Davies around communication and influence. Leaders Playbook, Tools for Top Performance, and we'll be right back. Line in business. Voice America business. 
Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066 Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That bedtime song. Rockabye baby by Newton's treetop. His first law of motion makes sure you won't stop. The same rules of physics apply to a ball. While gravity is a force that makes things fall. By the sixth grade, many girls lose interest in math and science, but it's never too early to set your daughter's future in motion. For some simple ideas, go to girlsgotech.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Girl Scouts of USA and Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. If you have a question for Dr. Nadler, feel free to email him at rnadler at truenorthleadership.com. Now, back to Dr. Rell. Hi, this is Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance, and we're talking with John Davies around communication and influence. And we just finished talking about some of the nonverbals. Uh, John had talked about being a great uh, speaker. One was to practice and rehearse. Number one. Number two was the nonverbals. And uh, number three was having a persuasive strategy, which really is around passion. So maybe, John, you can kind of talk a little bit about um, passion, why it's important. But I imagine for a lot of leaders that I deal with, they may not have passion. What they're talking about maybe not that exciting. Um, and, and, and so how do they, you know, find that passion? Well, I, I tell audiences all the time that if you if you are if you're not passionate about what you're doing, and it's not something you feel really strongly about, you're probably not going to succeed as much. Hmm. So I, I believe that people that have reached a high level of of companies usually have a passion for some part of what they're doing, uh-huh. more than just the money, because someone that's reached that part can do they can make money somewhere else. And I think a lot of them get closed up because they're afraid to have passion because they want to show that they have emotion. Uh-huh. And you know, I think you know you gotta you gotta let it out a little bit, and that's that's a conversation that you need to have with yourself. You know, what is it that drives me? What is it that I like? Why do I care about these people? I mean, even the 
the the most unemotional person has some emotion, as you know, really, mm-hmm. all your studies, and and that they need to show it a little bit. But there are people who don't like what they're doing, and they're just doing it, and they're a manager, and they need to go change jobs. So you know, if, if you're listening to this and you don't have passion for what you're doing, you're, you're you might have hit the top of your ladder. You might want to go find out what you're passionate about and get involved, mm-hmm. and do that. I mean, I just. I'm always shocked at people that spend their life doing something right. they really don't have any passion for. So, so one of the things, and I know you, we've talked about this. Let's say someone who is thinking about being a, a candidate, um, you know, whether it could be for a local office or something. And uh, what, what are some of the questions? Because I know you go through some specific questions, and then you're trying to look for whether or not they're passionate about it. Well, I, I, what I want to know is what's their flash of light. And you know, it's funny because we we've moved from doing campaigns. Um, years ago, but there's so many things in that that are helpful for any any level, you know, a salesperson or executive. Right. But you know, what is it? Well, I call it their flash of light. What is it that made you want to do this? And the, you know, when they look at you, you know, sort of with those blank eyes, what do you mean? Why why are you running for the U.S. Senate? And you'll say, well, because I need to stand up for the party and I need to do this. No, why are you running? Why are you doing this? I mean, do you know that? You're going to be working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and everyone in the world's watching you. And yeah, yeah, it's really powerful, and people know who you are. But why? Mm-hmm. I mean, this—it's not for the money. It's you can do something better with your life for money. You can do something better for quality of life. And usually, people will get there. You know, they'll tell you, they'll give you that story. Mm-hmm. There's always a story there. I had one candidate for office tell me that she was a refugee, mm-hmm. and she came to the U.S. as a war refugee. But when she was in, uh, she was in refugee camps. She was getting the care packages as a child, and so her passion is she she'd been a president of five or six major nonprofits in the state. She had been a major player in other issues, and she said, "This is a just natural step is to to do something politically where I can take my leadership skills." Because when I got those care packages from my contemporaries here, I said, "I'll never forget that. I always want to give back." And I said, well, there's her story. And when she told that story, it tapped into her emotional side, her passion. And from the rest of the day, it right. continued. That, and, you know, I had a gentleman who was a uh, was taken away into an internment camp, a, J- a Japanese-American, second generation. And, you know, he became uh, uh, quite a leader in the Japanese-American community, but also in, in the Republican Party from that. But because we tapped into that story yeah. of who he was. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think one of the things I'm understanding more, and actually it was from one of our previous sessions where we had a person talk about the mirror neurons, is that when somebody is passionate, the mirror neuron on the people listening picks up that passion and they feel passionate. So in a sense, when you talk about leaders having uh, being influential, the more passionate they are, they tap the passion in the people who are listening because that mirror neuron is picking up that same emotion. You know, uh, you got you got to know it's there because you watch people... And they, they, you know, the whole idea that people do mirror one another when they like one another. Right, right. And they mirror a match in their body language. You know, you just, you watch, you watch a woman holding a baby, rocking back and forth, and another woman standing there talking to her starts rocking back and forth. Right. You know, it's, it's sort of fun to watch, but, yeah. but I, I, it's, there's something, there's something at some level that, that I don't understand, but when someone is truly truly passionate and you don't have to be you know tears rolling down your cheeks passionate it's just you really care and you want to do something great you know when you're standing there with them because this is someone that really believes in this right so it's, it sounds like one of the things that you'll do and i think ideas as a coach but that leaders can do this is really asking enough questions until you see that flash of light and yeah. you see something and say wow something connected there with you therefore 
it's going to connect with your audience. Yeah, totally. I, I worked with this woman who came in, and uh, I thought we were going to be doing more of a style and technique training, but right. she came in, and she was being named as a woman of the year, businesswoman of the year for a state, a, a southeastern state. And and as I, I read her speech, it was awful. And then I talked to her the first the first afternoon we talked, and this woman had an amazing story, and we ended up doing a speech that even if she didn't have passion, she had it then because the story was was so linked to uh, to things that she did have passion about, and and it changed. I mean, this this woman, I mean, to me, she ran for a local political office. She should have run for governor. She just had an incredible ability, but she didn't have her story laid out. So it's it's the passion, but also getting the message put together in a manner that it tells your story, right? right. That it's simple. Well, and I think when you're talking about a communication strategy, I know you've used this term, the needle in the haystack. Is is that kind of trying to find out that flash of light, trying to find out what will connect with the listeners? It, it, it is, and it's also finding out of any project, you know, as so we work in real estate projects, you know, what is that little, what is the key of how to how to take this project? It's a key fact, and that's that's where you start to create your story around. Okay. So it's from an individual point of view, but it's also for a project or a business. What is what is the thing that you can start to wrap the story around? How do you take that dollar bill and turn it into a hundred dollar bill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Well, so in the last. Uh, couple minutes here maybe um any take on some of the best communicators you had that you've seen maybe you know today we're uh, you know in the middle of uh, of getting ready for some of the primaries in 2007 but what do you what do you notice about some of the maybe political communicators that we see on tv all the time maybe well, you know what are some of the things that seem to work or don't work for them well you know i i i watched the uh, the primaries carefully and you know it's a, it's it's a horrible taxing process and i don't know who is most taxing on us or the people having to do it <laughs> but you know that it goes through but wow you know you you start to really see what's happening you know john edwards and you know you listen to him the first three times right and you're on there but he didn't he's not he hasn't worn well on people he doesn't he caught on he hasn't he doesn't he doesn't wear as well doesn't wear on well. people even though he's a great communicator i mean mm-hmm. he's a trial lawyer but because I'm not sure if it's a true passion. There's something, the, the mirror neurons you talked about, I don't think they're working. Hmm. I believe that Obama connects incredibly well. Mm-hmm. I think the greatest challenge, his greatest challenge is getting across, I mean, he comes across energetic, passionate, is getting across that he has enough experience to lead mm-hmm. a nation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Hillary Clinton comes across is, you know, she could lead a nation. Mm. But does she connect? Right, right. Okay, good, good. Well, we're, we're getting to the, the end here, and we've been talking with um, John Davies. Hey, John, before we end, how do people uh, connect with you and your, maybe your website? Our website is DaviesPublicAffairs.com, and, uh, and, and from there, you, you actually have to log in, and we'll give you a password to get on to see most of the site because we like to protect our clients. Okay, good. Well, John, thank you very much uh, for this, and, and um, just want to mention the tool, you know, filling in white space. Um, how do leaders help that intention interpretation gap is on the leadersplaybook.com site. You can go there. It's a free download that goes with communication and influence. This has been Leaders Playbook, Tools for Top Performance. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk with you next week. Bye-bye.
you've enjoyed this episode of Leaders Playbook with Dr. Relly Nadler. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Rel, or if you would like to email him directly, visit his website at www.truenorthleadership.com. And be sure to join us next Monday for another episode of Leaders Playbook. We'll see you then.